All right, it's Friday night. Brian O'Driscoll is in the studio with us. Craig, good evening to you. Good evening. So it's been a really interesting week. We'll talk about the banning of tackling in schools. We'll talk about what sort of approach Ireland needs to take for the rest of the Six Nations. But just a word about Connacht before we get going, because um, they're in action tonight in Edinburgh. These are big games for Connacht now, because one of these away wins really sets you up for the rest of the season. Yeah, it does, particularly against uh, a team like Edinburgh. They're fifth at the moment. They need a big win themselves, keep them in the hunt for a top four playoff place. Um and yeah, I I think these are the sort of games that define you as a team. Uh, for Leinster over the years when they had success in Pro 12 and Munster likewise, it tended to be during Six Nations and November internationals when the international players were not with them. Yeah. Um, that if you could get four out of five wins or five out of five, that set you up for when the players came back for an injection of, of you know, their experiences at Six Nations and, and their confidence. So I think that's huge for... Um, for Connacht, you know, granted they don't have huge numbers away, but you know, these are pivotal moments in a season. If they can get something, not more than something, more than a point, if they can get a win over there, straight away they're, you know, they, they're the start of the weekend. They're going to be five points ahead of Leinster before they get to play. I think it's it's a really big message they could set out. Yeah, I, like it's gone so well for them over the last while. They're beginning to have that kind of sense of momentum that like Leicester have in football. And you're thinking, Jesus, they might actually do this this year. They totally could do it. They really could. Um, I think the really important thing was they weathered their storm where they where they were decimated with injuries about two or three months ago. They could barely field um, substitutes, I think particularly backs, yeah. um, on the bench at one point. And to be able to to see themselves through that's always going to be the question of the squads that aren't as big or don't have as much strength and depth whether they can ride out those those injury plagued um, aspects of the season um, and they've done that fantastically they've, they're clearly a very very well well coached team and now they they look as though they're very confident in what they're doing their position in the league is absolutely adding to their performance and they're yeah. thinking why can't it be us yeah. um, and rightly so and they've they've had some big one-offs you know, they went down to Thoman for the first time in 20 years and won um, and just looking at their fixture list you know, there's some tough fixtures but they, they won't be afraid of anyone yeah, there's a real sense of confidence around them and they've got some good uh, home fixtures coming up as well. So that one kicks off 7.35. Keane's going to keep you up to date with it across the rest of the evening. Let's talk about this letter that came out during the week. Um, 70 signatories calling for an end to uh, tackling in rugby in schools where it's part of the curriculum. Um, obviously, it's been reported as all tackling must go. Uh, and maybe that's part of the, the whole point of releasing a letter like that is that you want a, a bomb to go off in terms of the coverage but when you drill down to it, is there some merit in uh, getting kids not be forced to play a sport they may not want to? I think there's absolutely merit in that. I think it seems crazy that it, you know, that rugby is compulsory and part of a of a school curriculum. I don't care how steeped in history your school is to force a child um, to go out onto a rugby pitch against their will because mm. you know that's what we do here seems incredulous. And if for no other reason that this letter bring heightens um you know the ridiculousness of that at least that will be one win i think some of the rest of it you know there's a lot of conjecture involved in it um i don't see a huge amount of comparisons to other sports so it seems fairly thinly veiled other than certainly spelling out this aspect of compulsory rugby and compulsory fun yeah it's uh, that seems you know crazy no it definitely doesn't work what it does seem to signify though is the start of what might be a big battle that rugby faces to convince parents that this is a safe sport and that we're ahead of the curve when it comes to making sure that we're looking after player welfare and that's maybe the challenge for rugby to come forward and say look we 
we're parents. We understand. We don't want everybody to get injured. And we're absolutely on top of this and we're spending money on research. And maybe that's what they need to do. They do. And I think it's really important. I know World Rugby have come out and, and made statements this week. And the, and the longer you remain silent, the more you know, worried parents you're going to create out there. Um, it's funny. I've, I've read a lot of stuff on it this week. And um, I think you come from a powerful position from a medical background and when 70 doctors get together you know people sit up and listen I'm from a family of two doctors and so their word was was gospel when it came to anything medical I just feel that it it feels like a bit of a shot in the dark really there's no comparatives to other sports um you know certain aspects of it are taken out of context we don't know the real detail uh, of the study of you know the the types of injuries um you know I, I, there's been a little bit of information as to how how they've come about it, it, interestingly you know the, all this big hit conversation um I, I think one study showed that less than 50% of of um injuries or concussions come from below hip level uh, tackling so this choke tackling and big collisions you know and and we've seen it with Johnny Sexton maybe isn't the reality that we think it is. Yeah, I, there's there's definitely a lack of long-term studies and scientific detail because the sport's really new and it's actually evolving at such a, a rate. And that like, that's the thing, the game that we saw, you know, coming in in its infancy in, you know, even when I started as a professional in 99 to the game we're watching now is vastly different and it's become uh, a professional sport and with that, um comes an, an opportunity for people to create a living out of it. Therefore, you're going to have more numbers playing it. People would rather play rugby for a living than sit in an office. I'm, I'm sure the vast majority of people would anyway. So straight away, that means bigger, faster, fitter athletes are being developed. And the game is starting to eke a little bit towards, you know, that attritional game that no one really wants to see. Yeah. Um, and so there is a small bit of a concern from from the aesthetic point of view of the game. Definitely, I've also read some some interesting stuff this week that you know, the Six Nations is exciting, yes, um, but it's all about defence. Yeah, and you know we've lost the the technical aspects of the game. We've lost the ingenuity. We've lost the the you know the ability of people to be able to create create space because space is of a premium now, and and it's being shut down. I just think. That would be a, a concern looking at the bigger picture, picture as, along with you know these issues we're talking about is how are we going to grow the game um, from a safety point of view but also from an interest level point of view. Yeah, I think that they're actually all part of the same conversation in a way that it's possible to make the sport a little bit safer and actually a little bit more interesting at the same time. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think um, from, a, from a safety point of view there's been lots of opinions thrown out there about weight classes, about, you know, um, teaching tackle technique, all of those viable options <laughs> way before we start thinking about banning tackling because you won't have a game of rugby if you if you um, ban tackling from schoolboy rugby or, or schoolgirl rugby. You just won't. Because by the time you learn techniques, filtering through into the professional game, it, it, would, it would make a... Um, it would, it would just make a, a bit of a show of, of the game and, and you wouldn't be able to learn the new techniques as well as, as kids have done, you know, not learning them from six years of age, being able to hone them by the time they're adults. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the actual game itself and the aesthetic, so are we just doing it wrong in this hemisphere? Because when you look at, say, when we talked about Argentina and we keep talking about them, 
it looks great the way they're playing it. Is that just because they have that approach? Um, or is that just because when they play against us, we don't play well? And, you know, like New Zealand, Australia, the World Cup final, granted, it's the two best teams in the world playing at the absolute peak of their powers. It was a really exciting game. The ball was handled really well. They looked to be looking to create space as opposed to collision, 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 go wide. I, I like... I've said it before and I stand by it. I think the skill level of the Southern Hemisphere teams is considerably better on mass than the Northern Hemisphere currently. Um, maybe with the exception of Wales, which I think are a pretty skillful team. Yeah. Um, albeit, you know, they play a very confrontational game. They are they are capable of you know, of throwing around if they want to. Um, I think you're you're looking at apples and pears with New Zealand and Australia teams and. In particular, you see it in in their front in their front five, um, you know, props and sub props and hookers coming on and being able off you know throw five ten meter passes. I just don't think we have that skill across the board uh, in Ireland and in the Six Nations. And so aesthetically, for that reason, you can't play as wide wide a game as as the Kiwis and and the Aussies are. Do we need to change the rules to take? Like so, we're not good enough for this game. <laughs> Change the I rules to help us. I was trying to think how, how do you change. You know, one one area that I could see, but it's going to create massive issue because you know space is is pretty restricted because of the size of stands and the close proximity. But widening the the width of the pitch or the or the size of the pitch, yeah, um, kind of makes sense. You know, we, we'd find ourselves back in Croke Park because of of the enormity of the park there. But it, um. It just obviously immediately it means you know, players don't don't automatically look for the the for the contact zone. They're looking to create space because it's much easier to you know to get uh, momentum and, and get go forward if you run into space rather than run through bodies. Yeah. So I think that is one very easy fix, albeit because of atmosphere building and so on. You know the size of the of the pitches in in current rugby stadia around. UK and Ireland, you're going to be limited on that. Yeah. What do you think about limiting the number of subs you can have so that actually you wear a player down over the course of a game? I just don't know how that's going to be monitored because now you, we, you know, we mentioned I mentioned during the week with with Joe on the show because of things like Bloodgate in the past, where the game is professional and so people will do anything to win. Yeah. Um, not everyone, but some people will do anything to win, and so you know, how are you meant to know that someone? You know, is injured or isn't injured. You know, if the, if you take them at face value, independent doctors on the side of the pitch aren't going to put their, you know, their uh, medical know-how on on the line. You know, in in sending someone back on when they have a back injury or that there's no symptoms to it. So yeah. it's it's a very tricky thing to do, uh, and you it, it could, again, it's another way of making the game a bit, um, a, a bit crazy in that you know after half an hour 40 minutes technically you, you could have no contest scrums yeah and that's and exactly that just, why they, that just makes it ridiculous yeah because I mean obviously we used to have a situation where you could only have two props or one prop and a hooker and, and that led to the uncontested scrums if you're getting killed in the scrum okay you've got an injury you've got an injury away you go and suddenly you're winning the game again and, and you just can't have that so we, we have created a monster so to speak by, by allowing that and now we've got an eighth sub you know there were only seven up to what it was 18 months two years ago and now we've got an eighth so now you can change your whole front row so yeah the, your reward for doing a fantastic job scrummaging for 60 minutes is you get three fresh guys on for 20 Was there a time in your career where you were encouraged less to run for the gap and told to take it into contact? 
Oh, and it was a hundred kg. It was probably it was probably a time that I was encouraged to um, to out muscle people. Um, I wouldn't say all oh, that was good weight, um, but I think the game does go through cycles. And definitely in 07, it, it felt like a very uh, defenses on top again, a very um, physically demanding game. But you look at the comparisons from that to now, and I don't think athletically we were as impressive back then as we are now. But yet the size, you know, was felt similar yeah um but for me it was always much easier i think marrying the two of of being powerful and maybe having that explosiveness that when you ran to a soft shoulder and and people weren't expecting you to pack as big a punch as you did you know that's what got you in behind defensives uh, defenses that's what got you offloads and got quick rook ball from from winning those collisions and then the game becomes very simple after that and was that talked about or is that just that was how you played the game I think that's how I and and, and those at the time played the game we, we were never a side that were capable of dominating teams physically that was just not in our makeup you yeah, particularly in the, from a centre pairing of myself and Gordon or myself and, and Paddy Wallace that played sometimes well, you know, you'd be crazy to try and play a confrontational game irrespective of of, of the opposition defence you're playing against. You have to play to you know, individual strengths and our our ability to use late feet and and get to soft shoulders was um, our, was our you know, unique selling point. At some point, are, are centres your size never going to exist anymore? I just... I. I, I always remain hopeful when I see Matt Gitto, um and a guy capable of pulling the strings the way he does, the way he sees the game a little bit more. Um, I, I just feel that he's now becoming the exception to the rule. He's got a, a very good tackle technique, but we saw him in the World Cup final that he didn't get it right, and um, and he got a concussion and was gone for the rest of the game. So it, it would it would be a bit of a concern. I think you're going to find a, a halfway house Um where guys that are still you know pretty skillful but have a huge power element to their yeah. game as well, guys of the size of Jonathan Davis in in Wales seems to be the perfect size centre where big good acceleration, powerful, but you know has an ability to beat people as well. Yeah. That is kind of the modern day centre. Is is this um is this a cycle we're going through at the moment where people haven't worked out how to find the space, and the rugby brains have to find out, and that will happen or. Is this just what the game looks like now until something happens? I think it's team by team. I think different sides um, will think their way into a game. Um, and, and it's about the personnel you have and using um, using their best attributes, as I said. I, I think you have Jamie Robert at, at 12. Jamie Robert does not have brilliant feet. Yeah. But what he does have is a 17-stone frame and he accelerates with every ounce of, of power that he has in him into the collisions. And so... Against a smaller man, more often than not, he's going to he's going to win that collision. Yeah, and that gets his team into the game. So that's how Wales have been playing, albeit you know from a few moments ago when I said they they can play. You know they've got Dan Bigger, one of the best passing out half. Jonathan Davis very adept in 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 throwing miss passes. Um, and they have guys and 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 back rowers that are very very good ball players too. Justin Tipperick and Sam Warburton. So they can mix and match, but they're just playing to the strengths of a very settled team that has been there a long time. All right, we've talked a little bit on the show this week about what Ireland's approach to the rest of the tournament should be, and and kind of a week out from the next game, we're kind of reading some signs. We think Ulton Delan is going to be involved again. Do you give these guys starts now to see what they're like as starters, or are you? 
under really strict instructions win these games we have to win these games I, I, I don't I always wonder you know the level of instructions that's that, that the head coach is under I know that Declan Kidney used to sit in with um, with a, a management board the day before test matches and give them a rundown as to what they should expect the following day um, it was with a view to them being able to analyse the performance of the team and, and know what they should they, they should be looking out for I know Joe Schmidt refused to do that, um, and, and, and from my point of view, rightly so. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I would imagine someone has had a quiet word saying, you know, we need to win these games because even from a popularity and, and from a success point of view, if Ireland didn't, for instance, win the two next the next two games and had one draw in the Six Nations, the knock-on effect from... Um, Stadium um, capacity being being filled in the November test would have a, a detrimental effect. Uh, the the knock-on effect of that would m- not be disastrous, but we'd be going back to where we were a few years ago where the ticket pricing was way too high. Yeah. You just wouldn't have the same interest levels because t- people, the individual that mightn't watch games every single week or mightn't be the, the Arden, um, Arden fan, they just won't go to the, to the test matches that, you know, when Ireland aren't going that well. And that's yeah. just the simple reality of... Of, of Irish rugby and so they do need to be able to continue or get the back to winning ways to inspire people to come and watch them It comes back to this effectively being a new sport since the professional era people need to build up new traditions going to the November Internationals is one of them and you need to fill the stadium for those and they need to be a great kind of carnival thing where we win a couple of games and the Southern Hemisphere come and there's a few fights and it's great Yeah we're, we're, we are fortunate that we've got I think we've Australia New Zealand uh, Canada and the, in, in the other one um, so you know, they usually link the tickets together anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> you they, have to buy the Canada you know, one. Exactly. <laughs> so the the Canada one obviously is an opportunity for, for the, the coaching ticket to play a, a a second string team or a you know, certainly a give the a lot of the reserves an opportunity of a start. Uh, the other games you, you just can't give free caps to people. Yeah. Um you gotta give them to people that have deserved the opportunity. I think all four that have gotten their chance thus far in the Six Nations of all earn the right of getting there. Yeah. Do you start them then for the next game? Like, does Delan come in and we see what he does from the start? Um, I think you could. Um, I think you'd probably be cutting him a little bit of slack and keeping him on the bench again and giving him, give him another opportunity to grow on on that great 15 minutes that we saw in Twickenham. Uh, he should be oozing with confidence at the moment. So when he does get that chance to come on for maybe 20 or 25 minutes against, uh, against Italy, um, Again, he has that that chance to 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 spark an interest, and then maybe thereafter you you, you might look at playing him. But I think th- there's no rush with him. Um, he's going to be there for the longer term. You'd be hopeful. Yeah. Um. So you know, I think patience is probably key there. I think the other guys have all um absolutely earned the right um to start again. Um, Stander, um, Josh van der Flyer had a solid game, um, particularly in in Sean's uh, absence. Um and and then Stuart McCluskey, I think you know he'd sixty five minutes. It was solid without being exceptional, and I, I find it hard to to look at putting someone else in there, even bringing back the combination of Jared and and Robbie, which is very very solid. But I think Stuart ha- does his game thus far this season deserves another opportunity of seeing what he can give us in in an attacking game against Italy that he'll see a lot more uh, ball in hand. Yeah, and I think you can make the case that we expect to beat Italy even if we don't have, say, the first-choice centre partnership of Payne and Henshaw out, and that you actually learn more by having another game with McCluskey and Henshaw? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think um, 
You will. It's very hard to call, you know, call a partnership on one game. Yeah. You do need a, a, a run of a couple of games together, and they need a run of, uh, and an opportunity to be able to train together. It's they've only probably had a, a week. They've only had from a Tuesday to a Saturday of knowing they were going to be playing together in an Ireland team, and so um, they'll have learned a lot from from the communication. Uh, or at times potentially lack of at, at, at the weekend to go, we need to fix that, we need to get that right. Yeah. And for next time out, we'll be better. Darcy, so, Darcy was saying in his piece in the Irish Times this week that there were times when you just wanted them to shout over and, and we're not going to do what the pre-plan move is, we're going to call this because we see space. But he also made the point that like that wasn't very easy for any of you guys when you start to, and particularly when Johnny Sexton is in there and if you make a mistake, Sexton's going to go, ah. Yeah, I think... I I agree with it and and disagree at the same time. I think Johnny's happy to have things overruled if you know if it is the right call and if you make a mistake, you have to deal with the repercussions of that. Yeah. Um. But I think he'll never um go after you for 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 overruling something because you've had the ability to look up and see that there's been space or call it last minute. It's all about making sure the call gets into them and that wires aren't crossed, that you're doing two separate plays. Yeah, because it's pretty loud. Like the the actual mechanics of that, if you're the outside centre telling the out half that there's... That's obviously going to be difficult. You know, the message does need to be passed in. But you have to. I think you have to understand the situation and realise the speed of the ball. And um, there's nothing like a panic... Um, when you realise there's space out in front of you, and you know, funny, your vocal cords tend to work a little bit harder in those instances. But you, on the flip side, you're trying not to be too interested in it because you're watching the opposition, see so you get excited about the the potential space in front of you. So, I think um, in attack, they they you know, it was a good English defence. Let's 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 rem- re- um, remember that. Um, I think in defence, they have a, a bit of work to do. Um, Again, just making sure they get that split, and um, you know, after the first phase, they need to get out onto the edges and make sure we don't have, um, you know, a, a bunch of front rowers, you know, together after four and five phases defending. You you just can't afford that because better teams will will really put you to sword. And does that come from one of them standing up and saying, "All right, you get in there," and and having that kind of sense of ownership? It's it, to be honest with you, I think they were. The, the bit that I watched when I watched it back in the video and I didn't see it in real time when I watched the video back it was almost as if they were hungry looking for work and so they found themselves in around the rook at, at guard and you just as a centre you can never ever afford to be there you just shouldn't be there unless you're on unless you're on the goal line yeah. and it's all hands to the pump at that stage whereas if you're out the field your role is to to is to move others in there, and particularly from a thirteen point of view, because you can be you can become a defensive captain. Um, is get other people in there and shuffle out yourself to get to the edge, so then you can afford your wingers to drop back and cover kicks. The second wingers have to play high. You know, it's easy space for for an opposing ten or fifteen to punish you and get territory. And all of that is really the argument for putting Payne back in at thirteen, right? It is, but you know, I I would think again. I've never I've trained with Robbie, but I've never played a game with him. Um, but I get the impression he's no shrinking, you know, shrinking violet. So he's um he's he's very capable of of communicating and um. And he looks as though he's grown into the role massively. He's become an important player for Ireland yeah. very, very quickly. So, so maybe the counter argument is get him as much experience. Yeah, as you can. I, I, I don't see the reason why um, 
Robbie shouldn't shouldn't you know remain there, and it just depends on where Joe sees him. Does he see him as a twelve or see him as his thirteen, or does he want to pigeonhole him into one position? Or do you know what? Maybe he wants to try him out at fullback at some stage too. I don't know if Joe knows what his best position is because I certainly don't. Yeah. One last point, right? The world rankings are going to be important at the end of the year because the draw for the World Cup is being made. The World Cup that's just over. Uh, they're going to make the draw again. Something to do with Japanese ticket sales because the Olympics are on there as well. They need to tell everybody what the story is. Ireland are eighth in the world rankings at the moment. Uh, so we kind of need to just not be in a group of death. Or does that matter? Does it matter? If, like, Yes, it matters. It feels yes, like it, it matters, right? Yeah, it matters. It definitely matters. Um, I was at the, the last draw for the World Cup and I was pretty happy when we drew Italy. Yeah. And I couldn't get over how ecstatic um, French captain Dussetoir was when they saw that they had drawn Ireland and Italy. Now it came back to bite them in the end. But um, when you look at uh, Wales, Australia and England in a group, like one really good team is not going to go out or yeah. is going is to go out. Uh, happened to be England this time. You do not want to prove your worth in the group stages. There's plenty of time to do that later on. Um, you know, in, in knockout competition, get yourself into a quarter final. Um, if you can, if you can beat the you know the team that's potentially seated ahead of you in your group, you give yourself a better opportunity. A la 2011, even though we didn't take it, but you know you got to be in the top eight. And that's one of the other reasons why, apart from like the business side of making sure that everything is taken over and that we kind of have the rugby team embedded in the team, it's a, it's a winning team. Generally, this is just an off year. That actually, it really matters in this stuff. Yeah, this this really matters. It, it seems crazy again that. Um, we're doing it two and a half years out. Um, again, it, I don't know what the rationale was, you know, about ticket sales or whatever, but it, it just seems mad that in two years' time, Do it, could, it, could be, it could be massively different. Yeah. You could have a team soaring from, from eighth or ninth to third in the world. Ireland have had that that sort of um, leap and, and demise at the same time from, I think that we got to second in the world at one point and now we're down at eighth. That wasn't all that long ago. So, you know, it does seem um, ridiculously early to be doing it. And as a result, it's very important to get in that top eight. The other thing is that Scotland have really easy, um, I think they've they've got a tour of Japan in the summer we're in South Africa. So the opportunity for them to pick up points and for us to lose points, I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to South Africa with anything other than a three-test victory in our mind. <laughs> but a bit of realism there, and you think, okay, these games are really important. They, like, they stretch beyond, let's throw our hat at this tournament and give uh, six new guys caps. Mm, I think the, the big thing on, on the South African Tour, if you can win, genuinely, if you can win one test, you'll you'll sort yourself out for a top eight finish because the team's ranked uh, much you know, ahead of you, obviously, there's an awful lot more at, at stake yeah. in a victory there. And and on the flip side, teams rank below you. You don't gain a huge amount. So a victory over Scotland would be ideal. It would it would create a bit of space between the uh, the, the two teams and then follow that um, with a, a win, or sorry, you know, preempted with a win against, um, against Italy, who aren't even in the top 12, um, would be preferable. And then we've got two tests against New Zealand to uh, back it up with so like it's a really difficult fixture list that Ireland have and Schmidt needs some wins just to remind everybody actually I'm a really good coach and I have all this in hand and all that other stuff that people are talking about and just put it put it away for a while yeah it's incredible how quickly it's it's turned from you know we were, we were looking for um, a record of wins in a row and um, this time last year or 
after this time last year. Yeah. Leading up to the Welsh game, it was going to be 10 in a row. And now, um, you know, we just need to get a win back to to remind ourselves what it feels like. So we don't throw all that stuff out, right? We're Like the, the current, it seems like there's a lot of negativity and a lot of criticism around the team. That all happened. At the moment, they're not playing as well as they can do. And so the truth is actually somewhere in between. Yeah, it is. I, I think you never believe the the, the upside when um, when it's coming. But as much, particularly the way they're they're going about things uh, this time round, you know, one point uh, separated the first two games. You know, a better England team, albeit a pretty you know, pretty decent performance from uh, from that Irish team that not many gave it a, a hope to over in Twickenham. So I think there is still lots of positives to be um, maintained there, but the positives will start. Dissipating if if we don't start getting a W in the in the next couple of games. Brian, great stuff. Thanks very much. Cheers. Talking UFC next.